Welcome back to NLP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Miles Caparis from Include Software, Neil Glatt with Grow the Bench, Luke Melangrano from Mariani Landscape, and Brett Lesky from RM Landscape. Good while, guys. How's it going? Happy great. New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Doing well. It was so, a good break. Good to see you all again. Back to the grind. Yeah, I feel like I got in, I just got back into the like the work mode like yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm like taking another week of easing it, easing it, uh, right? Just a uh, slow, slow step. I saw on Instagram, Luke, you had a couple snowstorms over the break. Uh, like six of them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just what I was looking for over over break. Yeah, it's always a good reward, you know. Yeah, yeah, totaled up to about fifty-five hours of plowing, so. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was fun. Go. The most we had was like three inches of snow, but you know, just nice you know, easy. you you well, know how those guys, you know how those storms go. They just never end. Yeah, they're nuisance. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Send it our way. We're ready for it. <laughs> so we have a guest today, uh, Brett. Do you mind doing the honors? Yeah, yeah. We have Lee McGonagall, uh, who is a self-proclaimed plant nerd that is currently running a small boutique fine gardening company in upstate New York. She has a degree in landscape architecture, but has followed a non-traditional path through her career working at local florists, garden centers, commercial landscape firms, a botanical garden, uh, retail, and even a software company before setting down on her own. Lee also serves on, a, on the regional and state landscape boards to promote the industry as a career of choice to other young professionals. She loves connecting different ideas, concepts, and people from around the industry to share her love of all things plants uh, with even more people. So welcome, mm-hmm. Lee. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you guys. Nice to see people for once. Hey, you know, I don't know if this is uh, nice to see, but, you know, it's, it's something for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you said yes to hang out with us. So <laughs> for a whole hour, geez. But... <laughs> wow. So uh, winters are a little easier for me than you guys. So what do you do? What do you do in the winter, Lee? I love that question. So uh, it turns out because uh, I run mostly a seasonal business and because we're in upstate New York, Uh, we're like zone five or six, we do sort of have to squeeze in a lot of work in the summer, but then I have about two or three months that flexes in the winter. And uh, we're just starting to pivot our model a little bit to use the winter to pre-plan a lot of the client facing work. So all the designs, all of the uh, getting plant lists and estimates and all of that stuff done in the winter time so that when March comes, the whole team can hit the ground running. I also use the winter as time to do research and development for new services, doing a lot of our budgeting, doing all of the growing of the business, the working on the business stuff. Uh, We're only, I think, officially almost four years old. This is going to be our birthday in February. Uh, So a lot of the winter is still working like on building the actual business so that it can work uh, better and smoother every year. So winners for us right now are a lot of doing that. And the goal long-term is to build a more sustainable year-round service, which I know is an industry issue too. Um, but I just was not ready to do plowing and get up at one o'clock in the morning. It just wasn't something that sounded like fun to me. So we're trying to build a business that has bookend services in you know, adding some decor, holiday installations so that we work a little bit longer. And also in January, we have a takedowns. So like, I think 
I think the ultimate goal is to build a 10 or 11 month business for most of the crew. Uh, and we still all need about a month to get away from each other, have a family, regroup, have some of those times for travel, that kind of thing. So that's the more sustainable model, hopefully. But yeah, that's what I do in the winter is working on the business primarily. And this year we get to start playing with plants a little earlier, hopefully. So big year. Come on now, plowing, plowing and waking up at one in the mornings, the, uh, the most fun thing there is to do as a landscaper <laughs> in the winter time. Oh no, oh no, no, no. So Lee, uh, about how, how big is your business roughly? And uh, about how many people do you have uh, working with you right now? Uh, so we just broke the half a million dollar in revenue threshold this year. And uh, we had the biggest crew ever. We had 17 people on staff at the peak this summer. Granted, a portion of those were part-timers or like seasonal help, but 17 people is a lot for one person to manage. Um, and so we're gonna probably slim back down actually, uh, but that's that's about where we're at right now. And the type, and the type of work you said, uh, fine gardening, residential, some commercial, a little bit of everything or? No, it turns out that we're really honing in the service. So it's very much in the plant spectrum. So the, the, the big pie is landscape industry, landscape contracting, all the plant stuff. We do the sliver that's plants. Uh, and so we have a much more in-depth knowledge about plant health care and maintenance and pruning and bugs and insects and diseases and design in so much as it's helping the plant world. Um, we don't tend to do big contracting or commercial design work where it's big plazas or open spaces, that kind of thing. It's very much residential work. We have a handful of commercial clients that have a lot of plants on their property, which is why they call us. But we don't typically do, you know, big malls or parking lots or campuses because they, they tend to have a little less variety of plant material. And they don't need our services as much. So uh, very boutique, very specific niche of the plant stuff. Uh, we're expanding into adding uh, seasonal and holiday plantings, containers, holiday decor, uh, and hopefully in the next couple of years, get into interior plantscaping, which again, meets some of that winter model for us too with recurring revenue. So very much in the plant world and uh, much more in the maintenance side of things than enhancements. We do enhancements and installation work for our maintenance clients, uh, but we don't typically just sell one and done big $200,000, you know, new builds uh, for people. I think you're the first person we've had that really represents that segment. You know, mm -hmm. most people we talk to are landscape contractors who maybe dabble in, I mean, they, we do enhancements, but I wouldn't say that many dabble in fine gardening. What, what's kind of the different approach? Do you work with contractors um, or as a subcontractor or do you subcontract them? Or is there no partnership there yet? Ooh, that's a great question. So I think of our service as a specialty niche, and I look at all the rest of the services around us as similar specialties. So we, we love to partner with those landscape contractors. If somebody doesn't see us as competitors just outright, then we really could be a really good partner for the local contractors. So a bunch of my, almost all of our work, probably 95% of our work is referral-based now. And most of that comes from landscape contractors who just say, I don't want to do this stuff. You guys are the best at it. We don't want to do it. And we partner. So one of our big jobs last this fall, we worked with a, another contractor whose specialty was trees and installation work. 
and we did the design and sort of the project management and our team came in to do the last like the planting of the shrubs they did most of the bed prep we did the planting and the finesse and then we worked together with both of the teams so that works really well for us um and then we often will the, the intent was that we could flip and be a subcontractor for those bigger construction teams who once they built something could punt the maintenance to us or could punt the containers to us uh it turns out we have enough work that I haven't pursued that as a revenue partnership yet, but it's something that we could certainly do. Uh, and I like that we do our little niche. And then I can also offer to our clients the partnership of working with other specialty contractors. So like we don't do stone masonry, but I know the five or six guys in town who are amazing at it. And then we often uh, refer work back and forth. And so I like that it's more of a referral business and not competitor with the sort of all-in-one landscape firms, which totally meet somebody else's need. But most of our high-end residential clients don't want all-in-one firms anymore. Like they've gotten the established stuff built. Now they just want it maintained and enhanced. Yeah, I, I really, like, I mean, I really like that. The, the whole idea of the, uh, you know, you have, you have a narrow focus, you've figured out what your ideal client is and that's who you go after. I think, you know, I think, there's times as business owners who they, you know, they start, to, oh, you know, I think we can, we can dabble into that. We can dabble into that. And they sometimes lose their focus where you're, you're, you know what you want. Uh, if a client calls and they're not what, they're not an ideal fit for you, you're not spinning your wheels, uh, wasting time to go uh, on a lead that's not going to go anywhere. You know what you want and can focus on that. Yeah. And that took a long time. So my inherent, uh, personality is chasing shiny objects. Like I am a very distractible human being. And so because I know that uh, we, we get held back as a business if I chase too many things. And so I've learned over the couple, the last decade or so experimenting and working in other businesses that I knew I, I couldn't be everything to everybody. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have to know all of the things to be really good at that. Um, and so we've, we've learned over the last couple of years, who I can serve best. And I also just did quick math that said, I would rather build long-term relationships with a few clients who need the same level of handholding and care and attention as the one-off clients who are only gonna spend $2,000. And so I would rather do high quality, less quantity than high quality, high volume. I'm not saying you have to give up quality if you have higher volume of clients, but you have to have many more systems and processes to be able to meet that client need and do all the handholding. I just really like high touch, uh, high impact, big relationship building. I wanted to be part of clients' properties and their families for the long term. And I also think it's more effective and efficient for me to know somebody's preferences and get to solve their problems over many years versus get all that upfront knowledge of getting to know somebody and building relationships build the project and then disappear. And that's just a lot of churn for me. So I just did quick math and said, I'd rather do really good work for 20 or 30 clients than 200 clients a year. It just was more than I wanted to deal with. So we have really narrowed the focus of who is our client and how do we serve them and what are our services? And uh, it has helped us as a company. It's helped me have a lot less chaos too to manage because I know what this very specific client wants rather than trying to meet all the different needs for all kinds of landscape clients. I think that every business would benefit from really taking that seriously and getting that laser focused. And 
even when you scale, that doesn't have to necessarily change. When, when I was managing, um, I don't know, 3000 locations or whatever the number was and doing $40 million of snow work, it was still only 40 or 50 clients. Right. Mm -hmm. And they had a lot more people underneath, you know, the client level that I was working at that we had to backfill and kind of, you know, meet the store manager level and the district manager level. Um, But still the client relationship was one-on-one super high touch. Like you said, we knew exactly what they wanted and that business was not only profitable because we, we were tooled to do it, but it was, it was uh, competition proof because nobody knew the client as well as we did. And they would scale us year after year. So um, it just makes so much sense to me to take that yeah. approach, no matter what revenue target, no matter what service line you want to mm-hmm. be. Yeah, you want, yeah. I mean, you want to be that. You want to be, uh, no matter what, I mean, the, the mentality and the mindset and the focus we take uh, within our business is no matter what the client's looking for, we want them to call us. And if, you know, we may not do masonry, we may not do irrigation, we may not do tree work, but we're going to be the person who's going to find that person who we trust and, and recommend. We're going to bring them on the property and then we're going to manage them as well and say, you know what, we're your, you know, it's, it's, we're providing you with a, a, a service. We're the best at landscape maintenance. These guys are the best at irrigation. These guys are the best mm-hmm. at uh, masonry, whatever. And, you know, you're focused on what you're good at. Yep. And I think there's two benefits to that right away, Luke, right? Is if that client knows that you're going to manage the contractors and that you've recommended the person you want to work with, A, the project's going to go smoother, which means everybody wins. They're going to not have to manage it. You're going to have a lot more fun and it's going to be a more profitable thing. And I think that's a lot based on trust. And for me, it was hard to build trust. It was hard to do all of the effort it takes to build trust for a one-time installation. Whereas that long-term maintenance client really the, the, the benefit to me is I can basically walk on their property anytime I want with no heads up and they don't care like that level of trust. And they're like, you, I told you, I like purple. I want that in my containers. You go girl. And that meant it was more fun for me because I want that creative, the creative freedom to be like, okay, this is what I want to do this year. And that's more fun for me. And so that was another requirement was that I wanted to like my job. And so the definition for me is different than another company. So I'm not saying that this model works for everybody. I just had to hone in on this works for me. Uh, And another piece that I wanted was that I wanted to be able to choose what clients I worked with. I don't want to have to take just any client who's willing to throw me money. I have a very specific list of criteria that meet my ideal client profile. And one of them is I have to like them. Like if they're a pain in the butt to work with, or they're mean, or they belittle us, or they think we're servants, I'm not your girl. Like, that's fine. I can get other work. And in the first couple of years, you have to take work that you may not always like, or that isn't the best fit. But now we're past that. I can handpick my clients and say whether we're going to take new clients on or not, which means that we only work on properties we like and with people that we like, which means that we as a team, all of my team members like going to work. Like I know at the end of the year, we take a practice doing this. Uh, we gently fire the two or three clients that all of the team members don't want to go. Like I know when somebody, when I put something on the schedule and everybody's like, oh, I don't want to go there. I take note of that. And at the end of the year, we sort of in the fall, gently find a way to recommend that they work with someone else in the community who might be a better fit. And that's what we call it. 
Um, but it means we get to work with the clients we like because we have the level of trust that the, the ideal fit client that works for us and what, what we're building, uh, it, it's a good fit for, for both us and them because it means we can deliver the right services. If I tried to be, if I tried to do commercial installation, I would suck at it. Like our, we're just not equipped to do it, right? And so Luke's team might be better being able to do that. And I'd much rather recommend that work and that client work with Luke instead. So anyhow, that's just a philosophy I have. I don't know if that's normal or not, but that works for us. Well, apply that to then what you looked at your market. I'm familiar with like the Ithaca area. It's a beautiful part of upstate New York. There's universities, there's pockets of money around you, but then also mm-hmm. has some big land and just open spaces. So you had to have surveyed the, your market, the people that, that would say fine gardening and that sort of that very focused that there's people that are going to say yes to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then more often than not in residence life. I just want one person to do it all, right? And so when they ask you that statement, how do you sort of overcome and push through those conversations? So some of those is really active listening. The first sort of hour that I meet with a new prospective client, I get a feel for and I ask a number of questions, probably not scientifically, but I'm getting a feel for what is it that they really need? And when they say they want an all-in-one, does that mean they just want to not manage it? at which point I can be their first phone call and their only phone call, and then we can take care of it. Or do they really want a company who can do pool maintenance and lawn care and tree removal and, 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 and if that's what they really want in that first conversation, I can say, you know what, it it sounds to me like you want some more services than our company typically offers. I would love to recommend that you work with, you know, Cuga Landscape, who's down the road from us, who can do all of those things. Because it turns out what we specialize in is this one thing. So that's exactly the sentence. Like that's exactly how I frame that, that in that first hour, I don't want to disappoint you. It sounds like you have some expectations that we may not be able to fill. I'd love to have you, I want you to be happy. And it doesn't sound like we may be able to do those things. But if you have questions like this, I could totally help you. And if not, here's the guy in town that I'd totally trust. Is that how you guys handle things? (laughs) way more eloquent than uh and 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 my company you know and we've probably have said yeah we'll figure out how to do that for you and then through subcontractors and all these pieces and sometimes that has worked very successful because it's a partnership and it's person you trust and we've gone out on a limb sometimes and recommended or stretched out to say yeah we'll handle that scope and we find that that either that contract or just the circumstances did not line up well. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think it's trust in your partners, uh, confidence in what you really can take on. I was just having a conversation uh, earlier today and, you know, my father has taught me in our business, like, let's be smart about what we take on. Well, me, I'm just like, let's go for it. I'm ready to, I'm ready to try and I'm okay if we trip and we'll, we'll get back up and go again, but there's balance it required. And, and so I'm learning that uh, slowly. He's learned it over many of mm-hmm. 47 years and I'm, I'm finally catching up to all that stuff. So yeah, it makes I sense. I did the same where it's like, I don't mind if I make the mistakes cause I'm learning from them and I have control of what the company mm-hmm. does next. As an employee, you could feel like you're failing if you got put in a situation expected to, like we had a, a crew member who I asked to do irrigation for some containers because at home he does irrigation for his vegetables. And I was like, oh, he's totally qualified to do this. We never do this for any other client, but of everyone on the team, he could do it. And he got really frustrated. It didn't get done the way the client expected our team to be able to do. The client's frustrated. I feel bad that I let the crew member down. He's frustrated that he let me down. And 
I have learned every year to take a few less of those stretch projects on because it's causing more pain and friction than we need to have. And it's not as much fun. Like we don't get enjoyment out of it. And I end up having to apologize or we lose money on the job or I have to go back and do rework or I have to recommend somebody better than us to do it. Even though I totally told the client we were good at this. Like just doing too much of the dancing causes more stress and it's not the, it's not what I want to do. So I would definitely agree with you with trusting in vendors, trusting in partners, making sure that you inspect the work. Uh, and then also being careful what you say are stretch goals. Cause they could be stretch goals that help you grow a service you wanted to develop. Like we want to be able to irrigate containers, but I don't want to have to irrigate people's gardens. I'm like, okay, that there's a specialist for that, but we could just do the pots. Okay. I'm willing to take that as a stretch, but I don't want to stretch more than this because that's way outside of our wheelhouse. So I think we all have to learn what that tolerance is. Right. Yeah. I think it needs to definitely be a balance. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of opportunity to frame um, new ventures better with both clients and employees to avoid some of that stress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every year I was opening a new market, whole new geographic area, and we would be super upfront about it and just be like, Hey, this is a brand new market for us. We have a plan. We've done open new markets before, but it is different. And here's what, we expect might go wrong. Here's how we'll respond when it does and get the client on board with that. Right. So you get into trouble and you're like, oh yeah, we got that covered. Yeah. We really don't. Right. But when you're straight up, like, you know what, it's something we've been thinking about. We have some expertise. We're willing to give it a try, but what's our plan if it doesn't go well? Mm -hmm. Not, not everybody pouts and is upset and nobody gets paid. Right. And the same thing with the employee. Right. Hey, this is a new opportunity for you. Let's try it out. Let's see what happens. But if it doesn't work, that's okay. Right. And yeah. you have to make, I wish I had done that. <laughs> Anytime you want. Right. But um, I, I see managers all the time trying to rob their employees of learning opportunities because they don't want them to fail, which is like so noble in intention, but it just, it stifles everybody in the company from growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and also like, just framing it in a way that says, we're trying this. If it doesn't go well, you did not fail. Cause I think that's the story and that because I didn't frame it well, that's probably the story this team member has. And so I love the way that you, I love the way that you could frame that setting expectations for customers and for the team members. That's great. So Lee, how do you define success then in your company? It sounds like Ooh. you guys really. Um, a... Before I answer, what do you mean by that? Do I define, well, like, it's like, that's a, it's an open question, right? Because like everyone has this different measure of success, like whether it's like um, some, some really large businesses are like, if you hit your gross margin dollar, right, that's successful. Uh -huh. And our client is not mad. That's a success for us, right? We make money, clients not angry, but since you guys have like, it seems like from listening, you guys have more of a focus on having fun, doing what you're good at and not really focusing on growing this huge business, which is admirable and cool because it's much more that boutique spot that not a lot of people seem to play in. And it's really cool to see someone passionate about that. So I'm just, that's why I'm just, my question is like, what is your definition for success at the end of the week, at the end of the month, do you, you know, at the end of the year, cause like there's a balance, right? So like the client or their employees say, well, I failed at that, but overall that's like one failure in the midst of a hundred successes. Right. So like, what are those successes yeah. to you? Yeah. I think, uh, the definition of success 
is different from every person. So there's not a right or wrong. And I sure. think it changes yeah. over time. So my yeah. definition of success when I started the business was that I wouldn't fail. That, that we would be able to have a business be open. And I have, a, I have a picture in my head of what running a real business, like a big kid business looks like. And we checked a bunch of those boxes for me. And so now in the last year, pre-COVID, I will say I had some very different pictures of, okay, we got through the first three or four years of sort of starting the business. Now, how do we set the next five years, like the definition of success for that? Um, and I had created a vision board and sort of said, this is, if we ran this company the way that I want, it would look like, and it was a bunch of pictures. And so now I have to actually put words to those things so that we can accomplish the goals rather than this big abstract idea. Uh, I think some of it for me is that I enjoy my job because I like to work with the people that I serve and the people that I work with. Uh, I wanted everyone to be able to come to work and feel like they were valued and contributed some of their best gifts. So yes, while everyone on the team is capable of digging holes, if that's not the thing that brings you joy, how do I make sure that you are in the right seat at the company so that you're giving your best gift? Um, and I also wanted us to be able to serve and delight customers. Uh, I think that becomes, I think the rest of growth comes when you do that. I think if you have a really amazing team and a good culture and you have the structure for people to be successful and you are ultimately serving what the customers want, you can grow a multi-million dollar company. But I think that was less important to me about the gross sales than do we have the ability to create an environment where people are feeling successful and motivated and encouraged and living their, you know, their best version of their gifts, meeting client needs, exceeding expectations, you know, that's sort of aspirational picture. That's the thing that's driving me. The fact that I'm doing it as a small company is partially because we're young. You know, I don't have 40 years into it. We haven't scaled this thing. I haven't figured out how to do it in Ithaca and then do it in, you know, the surrounding communities. But some of it was, I didn't want to run. I didn't want a company to run me. I wanted to be able to have the balance of this business works for me and the life that I want and that I can have time to do those research and development projects, that I have time to maybe spin up another service every couple of years because I get bored and I know this about myself. I wanted the stability of a core business that every couple of years I could either take somebody from the team who has a specialty thing and help them spin up a new service or spin out a new company or develop some piece of technology that helps the industry. I wanted the time for me to be able to do those things, which meant the business couldn't be all consuming for my time. It is in the beginning when you start a business, whatever. I knew that was coming. But now this year and next year, we're really working on how do we get me out of the business so that the business can be successful on its own, that it's not reliant on me to do all the pieces and that I had the choice to do some of the other things that I might want to do next. So success criteria was that I had checked boxes for me personally in the lifestyle that I wanted and that the business could do those things and have, you know, a specific success criteria is does the business have enough money to pay payroll for three to six months if I get hit by a bus? No. Okay. That's the success criteria I need to work into our budget, right? So there's technical things and then there's some conceptual things. Um, so I think that's, that's more the picture for me is that I created the business because I wanted it to work for the life I was building. And I wanted the business to be a destination that 
somebody would want to work. A very kind of specific somebody, because you know this crazy idea may not work for everybody, but it would mean that I would subscribe the same kind of people who believe in the same why and believe in creating the same kind of beauty for customers and that that group of people would attract the right group of people, you know? What was your career? Really long-winded answer. I'm so sorry. No, but I, well, I mean, so what was the career that brought you to the company now? What uh, the, what was it before that made you think I need a new, new, new change? Um, so I, all, both of my parents own their own businesses. So straight out the bat, I was not going to be a good rule follower for somebody else's picture. Like we just knew I was not going to fit into a box. Uh, I love being outside. I love being around plants. So I knew that was going to be part of it. Uh, I like solving problems. So while I went into a design career path, it turns out what I really learned was conceptually, how do you put the right pieces together to solve a problem? Okay. So I like, uh, and I, I love working with people and the entrepreneurial bug got passed down. So I like all those things. And my dad owned a software company. So now I've got Technology, entrepreneurship, and plants. Like those are the things, those are my foundational things that work for me. And so this business solves two of those things, which is plants and entrepreneurship. Great. One of my side projects is going to be how do I play with the technology piece? Uh, and uh, I attended the NALP Tech and Innovation Forum this fall and I'm actually creating a new forum for some innovators that are sort of about 10 years out that are building technologies that are going to help the industry. So that lets me have my, you know, once a month talk about tech with other cool plant people and still meets my need for plants and entrepreneurship. So I don't know if that really helps, but I think a lot of the inspiration for how do I put those pieces together was from my parents. And my dad's software company was really all about the same cultural like, if you build a good place to work, it doesn't matter what the product is that you're selling. Like, you can build an amazing team that is willing to do amazing things that functions well and has an amazing culture. And you could sell any service with that team. And that's the powerful thing. And so I think I got corrupted pretty early on watching that business grow and being part of that for a little while and have basically said, okay, well, if you liked selling technology, I basically like selling plants. I'm going to use the same culture values and, and create this business instead. There's a lot of messaging here uh, and, and paths. And, and again, I'm enjoying this conversation because it is different than some other paths we've had. And so lots of listeners that are early on in their careers, or even just at that sort of tipping point in their careers, uh, how do you, how do you pivot to something similar to what you're doing Lee or into even other ones, entrepreneurship, or just some go make change, but taking that step forward, driving that passion, finding those fundamentals of, of the right places to fit. And, you know, and understanding that you could have what you want, you'll, you're going this business, your business is going to grow. Um, and you're going to do it the right way rather than letting the business run you. And then you, and even that could bring wild success, right? The business is going out of control and having, you know, money growth, all the right things are happening, but your my balance of life isn't there. Right. And so you're saying, uh, first balance, first, um, first passion, uh, get excited, love what I do and then scale that. And yeah, you could be as big as you want to be and still have that passion. I, it, it, it's taken me probably 
you know, my, my time of the business, 47 year company, but I've been, you know, with 20 and now I'm finding a point of where I'm finding work-life balance because we've got a network of people below and good people that are really passionate about. It. And so I'm spending more time with my family doing different things. Than, and I never thought I would be able to do that, even though the business is tremendously larger than it ever has been. So, um, and, and I did it reverse, right? I wish I knew now focus on and find that balance first and uh, you'd be much happier and less stressed because burnout is real. Our industry mm-hmm. loses a lot, a lot of good people because they cannot find balance and, and curse the snow. Cause I think snow does it more often than anybody else. But um, so, but yeah. Um, so no, I, I commend you on that path and that focus. To, yeah. To well, so the caveat is this was a very intentional choice. So Part of my non-traditional path here was that between high school and when I started the business, which was about a decade, I had 17 jobs. So if you looked at my resume, there were 17 stops along the way before I sat down and said, what is the life that I want and how do I get there? And what is it going to take for me to achieve the things that I want? So for some people, it is work life. For some people, it's not. That's okay. It was sitting down and saying, this is the life I want to build. This is how I want to show up in the world. And then the way that I chose to solve it was starting my own business. That may or may not work for other people. Totally fine. But I'm telling you, it was a very intentional choice after wandering around and knocking against some walls and figuring out what I didn't want to do, working at some really incredible places that were well run, working at some places that weren't and and catching those things and realizing like, oh, okay, now that I've experienced all of these things, we shook up the eight ball and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I think this is what I want next. And then I didn't have to worry about, is this what I want forever? I could just say, this is what I want next. And I also said, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like the worst that could happen is that I have to go get a job and work for somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, if that's the worst case scenario, then I'm willing to give this a shot. And uh, I think that that helped. And isn't that the story of many, many more people than the norm? I mean, my story, right? A landscape family I went to landscape and I've only had one job my entire career. Like that is not the norm. Many people go through and don't know what they're going to school for, have many jobs. And so I think they're going to relate a great deal more to what you've gone through, Lee, Uh, but they have to recognize to make the change requires the discipline and the the leap forward, uh, small steps, but, but moving and, and not just accepting that nothing can change. Right. And so a lot of it was like, knowing that I had control over what happened next. And if I didn't like it, I had the power to change it. And so that was another consequence of you starting your own business. You have a lot more choice and responsibility for the outcome of that. And I was like, well, if in three to five years, it's not what I want, it's my own darn fault. Well, and and it's been important that we just offer that voice and that perspective, right? I mean, I think we've heard a lot about really good mentors, but you probably are, people are probably stuck in some circumstances that don't have mentors and don't have people giving the voice reason, like go change. It might be just saying, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. This is a best of good, best to get. So good luck, you know, and that, yeah. that's a demotivator. So, yeah. And I will say the mentoring, uh, when I chose to do this, I went and sought out a lot of help from mentors, from people who would now become mentors or, you know, a couple of those jobs that I worked while it's not the right industry now, they're great business owners or they're great leaders or they're great operational people. So like I still go back to those people and seek mentoring, but it was in service of this is the picture I'm creating. 
So it was not just like I ran into somebody in a hallway. Like I went to this conference because I was looking for people who could talk about this and I asked the right questions and I sat down and had coffee with this person and I asked my questions. And then I followed up a year later and said, okay, I took your advice and then I did this and now I have the next questions. Like that was a very intentional seeking mentors that fit what I was trying to build. What I think is like admirable too, or in, in, in a really good insight that I'm hearing is uh, the fact that you're passing down this ideal down to your employees versus just taking this idea of knowing like what you want to do and knowing like what balance and knowing like what makes you happy and just taking that for granted. But instead you're, you're trying to pass that down to your employees. Um, like, like, I mean, just getting rid of bad clients that your, your team doesn't like, I don't, I've never heard of anyone doing that. I'm sure other people do it, but like, I've never heard like that happening. And that, that's just like ingenious because like, well, <laughs> those comp- those, that employee might leave me because I have one bad client and the employee leaving is more costly than it, like, uh-huh. than, than, and holding on to a client that, you know, the, 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 the opportunity cost is like way higher for an employee to leave than mm-hmm. lose a client. You can always replace a client. So, um, so it's, it's all I'm saying, it's just a good nugget, um, especially for anyone listening. It's like that, that idea of like passing down those things that you've learned and, and actually making it and, and changing your behaviors to your employees. So that way your employees also have the same shot is really powerful because mm-hmm. sometimes I think like in, in, in my experience in this industry, sometimes we kind of get managers that are like, ah, suck it up and, you know, just do the job that you're told and get it done and move on versus like, okay. I have a person here who has skills. How do I utilize that the best way possible? And you're doing that. No, not, that's not pie in the sky. That's very actionable, um, which is cool. It's possible. It's very, very hard to do. Oh, um, there's no doubt. That's why people don't do it. But the fact that yeah. you're doing it, that's why it's, it works. There's an intention too. I will tell you the last year, it's, it's very hard to look at myself and say, did I do best by my team? Even though that was an intention. Um, I think there's things that I am doing that are moving us in the right direction. So sometimes I got to give myself a little break that says we're, we're at least living with the intention to do the right thing and we're moving in that direction. I think some of it turns out that I don't always communicate what my intention was. And so that's a, that's a big piece of, I think, being a good leader is saying, look, my goal is that you're doing the job that uses the best and most fun part of your skill set but I might've missed a conversation with someone who at the beginning of the year said, I want to, you know, learn about houseplants and then be the guru for our team and tell people about it. I might've heard it. And then it got mixed with the 400 other things in that week. And I lost it. And at the end of the year, that person's frustrated because they're like, I remember telling you, why don't you remember telling like, why don't you, why didn't you do something about it? So I think um, that is a really difficult piece. Like the people part is the hardest part of my job, not even the client people part, because now we have ideal clients and I like who I work with, but literally the hardest part of my job is supporting the people who have chosen to be part of this family. Um, and that's a lot harder to do. Um, I think one of the things we do, if it's helpful for others is that we meet twice a year as a full team for at least a full day. And we talk about what's the vision, what's the plan for the year, how does everybody sort of fit in with that, and why are we picking these three priorities so that everybody hears the same message. And then this past year especially, we had what I'm going to call family meetings that were like, okay, new data point. This is how we're going to deal with COVID. What does everybody have, you know, 
how does that impact your family and how are you guys feeling about it? And how should we as a team sort of be supportive of each other? Having, creating whatever space works for your team or your business. And you can do this inside of another company, even if the company values aren't the same. Like if you just have like, here's the five people that work with me, you can choose to make the culture in that unit if you want. Um, but we, we did some very intentional investment in the team and in the team time, because if the whole team knows where the five-year plan is and how they fit into it, they feel a lot more invested in the day-to-day and how their daily activities contribute to getting the company where that is, right? Like my admin team knows my five-year plan better than me. They're working on it right now, defining and articulating the thing that I've said I wanted better than I'm going to be able to because they know the picture. Now I can basically step away and say, there you go. If we agree on the values and where we're going and how we're going to behave to get there, I don't really need to create the day-to-day policies because my way may not be the operationally right way to solve the problem. If you guys know how we're choosing to show up and where we're going, I should be able to pass the baton. Now, Control Freak has trouble with that inherently, but I have seen, and I'm looking at some really great business owners in the industry, many of them are members or consultants for NALP, that that's what they're building. And I'm like, man, I'm only four years in. And I'm like, that's what I want. That's what I'm trying to do. And so that's kind of cool to see how other companies are doing that too. But, you know, making, making sure everyone has the same picture. So they're on the same bus, knowing they're going the same direction is an amazingly powerful thing. Uh, because having the bus go one direction moves a lot faster and everybody has a lot more fun than if we're all on the bus trying to go to separate coasts. I think the intentionality puts you ahead of 90% of managers out there at least, right? Because you're never going to build it by accident, but just because you know the path doesn't mean it's any less difficult. Right. And I'm curious what you have all these things going for you. Um, what are you still finding so difficult? Is it the letting go of that control? Is it the time of the employees? Um, is it something that you feel like you don't have a tool for yet? What, what is making it so challenging right now? Cause it sounds like you're doing so many things spot on. <laughs> no, no, not. Um, so the, probably one of the things that I struggle with the most is pre-planning because the consequences, we have a lot of chaos in the day-to-day. And so both pre-planning what the work is so then we can pre-schedule so that everybody knows what their route is and communications are a lot cleaner versus this is the client preference that only Lee knows because only she's talked to the client. We don't have it documented someplace and we haven't gotten that to everybody. Um, I think some of that domain knowledge, some of the control freak nature of like, only I know how to design things. That's not true. Other people have ideas and things that are going to contribute just as equally. Um, some of it's that I learned a way to do it, but that doesn't mean that other people didn't take that 20 years of learning a more specialized thing, whereas I ended up with more generalist knowledge. You know, I think controlling chaos, uh, communication, letting go of some anal retentive ways that I might want something done, mostly because I have a five-year picture and I got there in my head of how we're going to do it. And I have to coach people and then let them have enough leash to do it their way 
so that the first time that they run into a problem, instead of me solving it or preventing them from even learning from the moment, like they get a chance to learn. So like, um, I've had on my backlog every winter that we need a tool that can manage tasks so that everyone in the company can see what we're working on both on the business and for clients. I know we need this. Every expert in the industry says you need this. There's tools out there that can do it. But until the rest of the company sees the need, I will be dragging people kicking and screaming, right? And I also lived through this at the software company being the person dragging people kicking and screaming to using a tool. So like, I know what that feels like. And I think some of it is, it is not going to be effective unless the majority of the people are on board with, this is a pain point for me. Now I wanna solve it versus me as an owner saying, I already know that's coming. I really like to avoid pain. We're just gonna do this. And if you say that, if you decree that, people don't get the sense of ownership to help solve the problem when they don't care about what solution is, right? So I think I'm having a lot of tension with, I got there in my head. How do I help get other people there sooner, faster? And is it conversations about, do we have the same decision criteria or do I let them have a little more leash? And then we say, okay, what did we learn from this? Now, how do you want to solve the problem? And I don't have that patience for that, honestly. But I think that's something we have to do in order for the team to be stronger rather than just have a God complex and say, oh, I, I know the best way. So I think that's a balance. So patience, you know, making sure that everybody has the same picture and is sort of on the same page. Not usually the tech itself is the problem. It's the, do we understand why we might need this to solve the problem? Yeah. <clears throat> I had a, a mentor help me develop a rule for delegating, which was if somebody's going to do it 70% as well as you could, no matter how long it takes them, then you're going to delegate that task. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a low bar, right? Like 70% does not sound like success, especially when you're talking two, three, four times as long as it could take for me to do it. But I started trying it and like everything just started clicking. Mm -hmm. um, I just had to, I just had to like sit down and shut up long enough to let it unfold, you know? So I have to trust the process. And one of the things that I've learned is, and that's a great idea, Neil. I will try to listen to that advice for this year um, and let you know how it goes. Uh, but I think one of the things I've learned is that if someone can take it on, then figure out what the decision criteria was when you hit a friction point. So I had uh, one of our team members basically take a whole division off my plate last year. And I said, go for it. Unfortunately, when I said go for it, I meant go for it, but only to this point. And I didn't, I didn't tell them that was the line. Uh, and then what we learned was, oh, okay, when you get to this place, can you check with me in case something comes up? Or, oh, hey, this is why I would make a little different decision. Or just having the awareness to say, can you walk me through why you did it that way? Just so that I understand rather than having it feel like I'm attacking them when I'm really like, why did you do that? Uh, and what we learned was that person had totally different criteria for success in that moment than I did. And then, then it's a really logical, not emotional conversation about do we agree on what the outcome needs to be? And then I don't care how you get there. Or if I do, I need to tell you that. Otherwise I don't get to hold you responsible for failing if I didn't tell you the right criteria. Like if I said, you need to get a new time entry tool and it has to be 
or I said, you need a new time entry tool, but I didn't tell you there's a budget. Well, you're of course going to be set up for failure. And so I have to learn how to do delegating with success criteria is what I'm learning how to do. And that's painful, but it's a lot better for that person. They feel a lot more ownership and it's way easier for me because at some point I'll stop doing all the things because that's the whole point. Neil, is that working for you? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's still frustrating. It's just as frustrating to watch somebody, you know. Bang their head against the wall. <laughs> but it's the only, it's the only way to break through that, right? Because otherwise, like you said, you're just pushing people out. Yeah. So, now the flip uh, side. So you and I are talking as if we are the sender of information. Have you been on the receiving side of that too? Where you're like, how do I, how do I get someone to delegate to me? What is a tip that you might suggest for someone on the flip side talking with one of us? I don't, I don't know if we have time for that whole discussion. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, at, at the very least, frequency of communication helps that trust, right? And my number one piece of advice for any manager that I work with is you need to be spending 45 minutes a week with each of your direct reports. And people are like, wait, that's like, 20 or 30% of my time. And it's also the most difficult thing that I'm doing. And, you know, that's what it takes to really build that foundation. So upstream, I think it's the same thing. You got to be having those one-on-one conversations where you can get to get to know the whole person to start to um, have some of that delegation or conversations about delegation. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that we could dig into there too, Lee. So, you know, maybe, maybe round two sometime, you know? but I really appreciate the enthusiasm that you've brought to this. I mean, this, there sounds like some really cool things that you're working on in the business. It'd be really cool to, um, to see that in action. Um, but we're going to roll into Rose and Thorn. Uh, so I don't know, Lee, if you've listened to any of the podcast, but we do a Rose and Thorn section at the end where he said, what's going on? Well, going wild the rose right the thorn but you're a plant expert so we'll say prickle because our plant experts are actually it's technically a prickle so um but anyways so we just go around robin and say what's going on so awesome um, yeah where are you guys at then i've been talking a lot i can't talk for a minute <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll kick it off um we, we the exciting part is uh we say let's go buffalo up here in rochester so <laughs> We got, we got playoff weekend. We got, we got hopes. Now we've all Buffalo has been here too many times. So we're, I'm cautiously optimistic about how these playoffs will go, but I am, uh, I am very, uh, very excited uh, about that. And so, and it could be an equal thorn. (laughs) It just depends on how Sunday goes. So that's uh, I'm going to defer that. I'm optimistic about how this, this weekend goes. So, and it's a new year, exciting, fresh starts, even though it's only a couple of days and it's been even crazy these last couple of days, it just feels better. It always does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. That same, same thing. I like, uh, like the new year feel. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good to, uh, uh, be home actually these last couple of weeks and hang out with the fan. And my dad's, my dad's like rolling behind here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's been good. Not, not, not really many thorns right now. So, and yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Your dad and brother haven't uh, drug you into a plow truck uh, while you've been home yet? No, 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 no. <laughs> They've actually had to gone up twice. And I'm like, uh, oh, 
Oh, that sucks. Have fun. Have fun. <laughs> Dude, you got to plow when you're at home. You got to help the family business. Come on. I mean, I like, I mean, they have all the night storms, right? So, like, I just, like, wake up. I'm like, oh, look at that. The sidewalks are plowed. Uh, the sidewalks are shoveled. Oh, wow. Salted. That hurts me a little bit. <laughs> I got to be honest. I'm like, I'm like this is kind of, this is kind of nice. Yeah, I live right. in DC usually, you know, so usually I'm in DC. We don't have to shovel anything. Like, what is that? Like, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> that's great you know uh, I... <laughs> so uh i'll go um rose uh yeah like like a couple of y'all have already said it's a new year so uh this is always a time of year where we kind of dive into <clears throat> some of the goals and uh changes we want to implement in our company so it's it's a good time to get get those ideas figured out and get them get them rolling so we can have success for the next year um thorn you know, we've talked about snow now it's uh was supposed to have a have a nice relaxing two-week holiday break and ended up working almost all of it with stupid snowstorms at night so uh so i didn't really get any rest or get to do any of the things i wanted to get done around my house or uh you know just personally away from work so that was that was fun well, my roses, I got engaged over the holiday break, so that's very exciting. Congrats! And, uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yep, congratulations, Neil. The only prickle I could think of is uh, weddings are really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, these, these COVID ones are going to be so much cheaper, right? You'll be, yeah. You got only have four people there, and you got to buy. I wish we could have a COVID wedding, but I think it's going to be post-COVID. So. Uh... Oh, and then that means prices double, so good luck. Yeah, yeah. The way to go is a tent wedding, man. Tent wedding outside. You just gotta like maybe just go over to like uh, Brett's place in um, in Rochester. That's if, not if that far to drive from you. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll give you a sweet if, deal. Totally. If only I were engaged to Miles, that might fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a, I, I do wedding photography right on the side, so you know I, I, I see I see I can see all the different types of weddings. So I believe in you. Hit, hit him up after the podcast. um well i guess my rose is you know being really grateful for a new year fresh starts um the you know because we've had this conversation i'm reminded about how grateful i am that the picture i envisioned is working is happening the way that i kind of want and that feels really really powerful um, so thank you guys for reminding me of that. Cause I don't usually look back at the journey. Um, but I'm feeling really, really good about it's doing the thing. I think I said I wanted. Um, and I think the, the thorn for me today is now I have to figure out how to do it better. The, the next version. And so challenging, uh, you know, no status quo here. We're going to keep, keep refining and keep focusing and, um, I'm already overwhelmed with the to-do list. It's day seven and I'm overwhelmed with how much stuff to do. Um, but that feels, that feels good. That's a good feeling. It's a good pressure to keep, keep growing. Ironically for the podcast. <laughs> That's why we named it what we named it, you know, yeah. the puns, <laughs> all the puns. All my dad jokes coming out now. We embrace it. Well, cool. Um, well, thanks again, Lee, for coming on. Yeah, thank uh, you. 
we really appreciate having you on. And uh, also a big thank you to our listeners for your support and listening to us. Feel free to share the podcast with your coworkers, friends, family, and anyone else who wants to listen to our beautiful voices and our awesome guests chat away. Um, well, thank know. you guys for having me. Great to meet you. Can't wait to follow up and um, happy to chat with anybody who's got questions about doing things a little bit differently. Yeah. How can people, uh, do you have Twitter or like Instagram or people like where people can like contact you or reach out? Yep. Uh, I'm, not as, I'm not cool about Twitter yet, but uh, Instagram, Facebook, our website, uh, Poplar Point Studio, all the handles, the same uh, Poplar like the tree, P-O-P-L-A-R Point Studio. Nice. Awesome. Well, everybody, great talking to you. Always a good time. Uh, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Have a good one. Take care, everybody. See ya. Yeah, we'll see ya.